Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Little peek behind the scenes. Maybe you guys don't know this. We are on what's called the three-year lectionary series. Uh, and that is to say that there are these readings that are assigned from someone. I actually don't know where they come from, but uh, pretty much most Lutheran churches kind of stick to this unless they're on a sermon series. What that means is, in theory, you shouldn't come across the same readings but once every three years. But when I got to our gospel reading today, as I was preparing, I'm looking at it, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I just preached on this. And so I went back, and lo and behold, on November 6th, uh, that instead of choosing the standard readings, we went with the All Saints Day readings, which meant the Beatitudes for this particular reading, right? And so I found myself, okay, that was November 6th, that's roughly three months, should I just preach the exact same sermon and see if anybody catches, like see if anybody catches on? Because I know some of you guys don't pay attention, you'd be like, that was a great sermon, pastor, yeah, I know, I know, it was great three months ago too, right? That's the temptation of the preacher, but alas, as I was, as I was scrolling through the internet this week, I came across a blog post that just stopped me dead in my tracks. Like, it hit me. And it lined up with the readings today, and I thought, okay, God, this is what you want me to preach on today. So, today you're going to be hearing based on that powerful, moving message. But before we go into that, let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today, for bringing us here for the folks that were able to brave the weather to be here in person. We also pray a prayer of thanksgiving that we live in an age where people can join online wherever and whatever they're doing. Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that you would speak during this time. I submit myself to you. I pray that even though it's my body, my vocal cords expressing the words, that ultimately I pray they are your words. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be known that your truth would be proclaimed, that we would all be willing to submit ourselves to you, to know exactly what it is that you want for each and every one of us, what we want and what we need to hear from you. In your name we pray. Amen. As people, as our current society, we love a good ranking, right? Seeing things ranked up, I mean, that's what like BuzzFeed, it's all based on rankings, right? We used, to have the, we used to have the top 10 music videos that you could turn on in the afternoon. Uh, we have our, it seems like every year they release a new list of the top 100 movies of all time. I don't know why it keeps needing to get updated. There's, of course, the top 25 in college football and college basketball. I mean, even when you're looking for a restaurant, what do you search? What are the, the best Barbecue restaurants in Houston. We're all about that hierarchy. We want to know what's best, what's at the top, right? And as I look at our scripture readings today, as I look specifically at our gospel reading, this has to be one of the most important teachings in the history of the world. At least top three, right? We'd all agree the top three because the I mean, reality is like this is Jesus, according to Matthew, Jesus' first public teaching. Because the Gospel of Matthew it tells the story of Christmas, and then Jesus gets baptized, right? And then he goes into the desert, and, well, he teaches the devil a thing or two, but he doesn't teach publicly. It says then that his ministry begins, and then he preaches the Gospel, which in that context means repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But then it says that he has gathered crowds around him, 
And so he retreats to a mountain where he sits down, which is, in that, those days, that was the posture of teaching, was sitting down. And I got to tell you, I kind of wish that was still the case. My feet would thank you for it, I tell you that. But uh, I don't know that I could do it. I feel like I'd be moving around too much in my chair. So he sits down, and they all kind of gather around. And so he's really, he's teaching his disciples, and, and the crowds are kind of overhearing. And this, this is what he chooses to teach. This is it. This is the foundational thing. This is his thesis statement as the Messiah, right? So with that in mind, what does Jesus teach us in what is one of the top three most important teachings of all time? He teaches us that rankings are real dumb, that it's just straight up wrong, right? That you shouldn't be ranking things, that things don't fall in the system of hierarchy. That essentially, this whole hierarchy that we have built, that these are the best and these are the lowest and they are to be ignored and they're to be honored. He says, no, 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 you got it all backwards. Flip it around. That's what I preached on November 6th, that, that God comes and just flips around our concept of what is better. Right? That Jesus in that way is very countercultural. If you want to go back and hear that message, it's on YouTube, it's on our website November 6th, right? But the question is this I don't feel blessed when I'm hungry. I don't feel blessed when I'm mourning, when I, I'm in need. I don't feel blessed. And it's a, this struggle, this, this, this weird paradox of Jesus says, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are lower. But, but when it comes to our experience and everything we go through in this world, it feels just the opposite. And, and as a Christian, as somebody who's been coming to church and you call yourself a Christ follower, we kind of struggle with that a little bit, right? Because we, we understand the way the world works. We also understand what Jesus is teaching. We've heard this before. But if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, this, this is the foundation. This is what it means to follow Christ. Like, yeah, the Old Testament informs it, and then you have the rest of the New Testament. As Paul writes letters and stuff, but this is Jesus from the mouth of the Son of God himself. This is what he chose to teach. And I know that that can be a struggle. I know that if you're not a Christian, maybe you, you're like, I don't know about this whole divinity thing. Universally, it's still understood that Jesus is a great teacher. So there's still value in this. But maybe you're looking and you're saying, even the churches don't teach this, right? You turn on the TV and you'll get, you'll get preachers saying, oh, if you dream it, you can do it. If you believe it, you can achieve it. Pray for prosperity, brothers, right? But that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that, that the last shall be first. Jesus taught that the meek shall inherit the earth. And that's exactly the opposite of what we experience. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't make sense. Maybe, maybe he's just talking about heaven. Maybe he's not talking about this world. Because the reality is, in our experience, life is better when you have more. Life is more comfortable. There's more joy. When you have more, there's a, a more opportunity to give to people, right? If you want to be sanctimonious about it. The more power and influence you have, the bigger say you have to proclaim the gospel. It's all just trying to please God, right? The more you have, it seems the better life is. It just, it doesn't make sense, this teaching of Jesus. 
Which is exactly why our epistle reading today from 1 Corinthians says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And see, that verse has been taken out of context to apply to the foolish non-Christians. Those who are ignorant enough, those who, who refuse to believe, those fools, that's, they can't understand my Jesus, they can't understand my cross, they can't understand my religion. But remember who Paul was writing to. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He's addressing the people there, Christians, Christ followers, that he helped to create and he knows the context into which he's writing. He's writing to a very diverse population that is primarily made up of Jews and Greeks. That's kind of the main background. And the Jewish people, they emphasize tradition and they emphasize resilience. And the Greeks, they emphasize wisdom. They emphasize intellect. And Paul's coming along and he's saying, listen, the message of the cross doesn't line up with either of those emphases. It certainly isn't resilient for Jesus, the rabbi, the Messiah, the one that we were all waiting for, to end his life early by willingly going to the cross, by submitting to an outside government authority. That certainly doesn't line up with what the Jewish people were looking for. And if we believe him to be a great teacher, for his life to be cut short before all these countless teachings could have been shared, that doesn't line up with what the Greeks would have taught. And so he's saying this is foolishness, not to just the unbelievers, but to the believers, the same folks. We are the ones who are perishing. We are the ones who are still caught up in the ways of the world. We're still caught up in thinking about those hierarchies, thinking about what's better, what's more important, what, what should we be honoring? How do I climb the corporate, the social, the, the financial ladder? So that blog post. What was it all about? It was from a pastor. Her name's Nadia Bowles-Weber. She's an ELCA pastor. I've quoted her before. And in this, she says this line. Our drug of choice right now is knowing who we're better than. I'm going to say that again because somebody wasn't paying attention. Our drug of choice right now is knowing who we're better than. And that concept of a drug, it's something that you can do right here, right now, that'll make you feel better in the moment, but ultimately will destroy your life. She would know. She's a former addict. Our drug of choice right now is knowing who we're better than. It's pervasive in our society. It's an epidemic that we're going through. This idea of I'm better than that person. Because we are obsessed with being part of a winning team, and that means having a losing team that we can point to, saying, I'm better than that person. You think that doesn't apply to you? Some of you can't go an entire conversation without bringing up this concept. Something to the effect of uh, those naive, woke liberals, or those hateful, ignorant conservatives. Those foolish, immoral non-believers or those weak-minded, fairy-tale-believing Christians. Those confused and abused Catholics or those lost and divided Protestants. Those Baptists with their terrible theology. Those Lutherans with their dying churches. Those who are affirming sin 
and those who are hateful and arrogant. We create teams, and we make sure the world knows who we are better than. Because it all comes down to our deep-set need to think, I'm a good person. I may not be perfect, but, but at least I'm not as bad as this person. I may not be all the way at the top, but I can look down here. I can, I can push them out. I can exclude them. This is throughout our lives. There's a current controversy in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, LCMS. There was a, uh, a book that was put out by Concordia Publishing House. It was an annotated version of Luther's large catechism, a real page turner, let me tell you. But in that, there were notes that some took offense to. Specifically, the most offense came in relation to the Sixth Commandment. For those of you who don't remember confirmation all that well, that is, thou shalt not commit adultery. And in the annotated notes for this, it listed out some of them, we'll just say more hot-button issues when it comes to adultery. I'll let you fill in the blanks. We did have a children's message earlier, so I'm not going to give specifics. But it also lays out some, shall we say, more common forms of adultery. Things that perhaps we, even as the church, have become okay with. And it says that these things are all breaking the sixth commandment and these are all sins. And the commentary that people had, the reason people got upset is, whoa, 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 you're somehow watering down these terrible, heinous sins by, by including these other ones. You're, you're softening these sins by, by including this other stuff. It's interesting because Jesus, just later on in Matthew chapter 5, kind of addresses this. He says, oh yeah, uh, you're asking what does it mean to commit adultery? If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Yeah. He doesn't back down. And in fact, when he is uh, confronted with a woman who was caught in adultery, who there was no question of her guilt, everybody in the area knew what had happened, right? He's confronted and what does he do? He looks at her, and he looks at the religious leaders gathered around, and he says, let, you have, let those of you who are without sin start chucking stones. Let's do this. And one by one, they dropped their rocks. See, what Jesus did was he didn't focus on the sin of the woman. Instead, he focused on the sin of the pious, the proud, the arrogant, you may say, oh, well, see, what he's doing is he's discounting her sin. He's saying, well, your sin wasn't so bad. No, 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 just the contrary. He's not discounting her sin. He's giving more cost to our sin. He's saying that, that her sin isn't less. It's, it's just equal with yours. By not discounting her sin and adding more cost to our sin, he's giving more value to his grace. That's what Jesus is doing. He's putting us all on the same footing. He's saying, hey, you're trying to say, well, yeah, I sin, but I don't sin as bad as that person. We're just like the Pharisee that prays, thank you, God, for not making me one of those tax collectors. See, we take this and we, we say, well, yeah, I've got this sin in my life, and I, you know, sometimes I don't come to church, but sometimes I, I put other things before God, but look at this person. This, this is who we have to take a stand against. This is the one that we have to cry out against. This is the one that's destroying the world when God sees it just like this. And we use this hierarchy to exclude people, to say you're not welcome. Alcoholics Anonymous 
says that you should stop trying to look for reasons to leave people out and start trying to find reasons to invite them in. What would the church look like if we recognize the power of God's grace, that it is for all, that we all have fallen short of the glory of God, as it says in Romans. It doesn't matter when we fell or how we fell. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. It's like saying, in order to get in, you have to have a trillion dollars. Yeah, maybe Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk have billions of dollars, but they still can't get in. You may say they're better than me, but they still can't get in. Our sin is part of us. And it's no different in the eyes of God than any other sin. Let's figure out ways, rather than trying to exclude people, to include them in God's grace. That's what the church is. I want to close with this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The gospel is frankly hard for the pious to understand because the gospel confronts us with the truth that you are a sinner, a great and desperate sinner. Now, come as the sinner you are to the God who loves you madly. Come as the sinner you are, broken and relying on his grace, to a God who sees the pain and suffering of his people, sees the rebellion, sees the arrogance and the perceived piety even within the religious leaders, even within the church today. He sees that and still, out of compassion, out of love, out of grace, comes to this earth, lives the perfect life, showing compassion, not just to the woman caught in adultery, but to everybody, showing love and grace that we couldn't even imagine to us. And then he took that beautiful, amazing, great teaching life and willingly paid the price because, yes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the price of that sin, the debt of that sin that we've racked up is death. So Jesus said, I got you. I can pay that. I'll take care of it. And I'm going to take care of it for everybody. Don't start saying, no, 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 he didn't pay for you. Yours, your debt is bigger than mine. No, no, no. We have to recognize that we're all in the same hospital needing the same medicine. And that medicine is the gospel. That medicine is a Christ crucified and risen again. So my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, united by our sin, but also united by being brought together and repaired and healed by Jesus, let's share the medicine. Let's reach out into the dark world, into the pain, into the sorrow. Let's let the world know that God loves them just as he loves us. Let's embody the love of Christ in all that we do. May we be so meek. Amen.